Previously on Caustic Soda. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? Now, a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given. I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision then? <laughs> not remotely. Because Iocane comes from Australia, as everyone knows. And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them, as you are not trusted by me, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! And now, the conclusion. All right. We've been talking about toxic substances, and we've been talking a lot about dose. Right. Okay. So we're going to figure out how these poisons compare to each other when we talk about dose. Ah, okay. okay. And oh, wow. So how much it's going to take. Exactly. And and I should mention that it's a little bit tricky to compare. It's not really apples to apples, because what we're going to talk about is the median lethal dose. Okay. Median lethal dose. Usually it's the LD50, and so mm-hmm. this is the dose that is required to kill half of the London study participants. Drugs. Half of the what? <laughs> Study participants. Oh, not half the people in London drugs at any given point in time. No. What, is, what does LD stand for? Oh, lethal dose. Lethal dose. <laughs> lethal dose, 50%. Median lethal dose. So okay. the mid-lethal dose that kills half of the subjects. Mm-hmm. Although it would be more fun if this was people, although arguably more horrific. Uh, we're talking about rodents here. So okay. each of them we're going to be talking about We're the... talking about capybaras? No, we're talking about rats. Sad. Lab rats. Okay. We're talking about rats. And like not mice, rats specifically. They're the largest rodent in the world, guys. <laughs> and we're also talking about ingested. So lots of them, you know, you have a bigger effect if it's injected. Okay. But we're going to talk about oral route. Okay. And the one thing that we're leaving out is over what period of time. And that's why it's not really apples to apples because sometimes, you know, you can right. have one dose that is cumulative and sometimes you need to have it all at once because it clears it, your body clears it and that kind of thing. So anyhow, the format of this, we're going to talk about more or less. So first off, we're going to compare caffeine Uh to metallic arsenic which one is more toxic or has a lower median lethal dose well this sounds like a red herring this sounds like it's got to be caffeine because we'd all automatically think that arsenic is it right (laughs) except we know that everything's poisonous so but so this is an equal amount of the substance? How or, much substance is it going to take to kill so which, half the rats? Which one oh, requires less is what you're yeah. saying. Which one requires less to kill the rats? Yeah. That's right. I'm going to say arsenic. Yeah, I, I agree, even though we could be wrong. You're going to weigh I'm, in? I'm going with caffeine, yeah, absolutely, okay. because right. it's a total red herring. Kevin, you got it. Yeah. yeah. So it takes about 13.4 grams per person. Uh-huh. And so I've, I've translated it from you the rat- to a human, yeah. Right. So there, How many there rats fit in a human, by the way? Measured using rats. <laughs> Do we know that? Measured using rats reported using humans. Right. Okay. So about 13 grams of caffeine to kill a person. And for metallic arsenic, so we talked about how this can be, you know, arsenic oxides and that mm-hmm. kind of thing that mm-hmm. are more readily observed. Metallic arsenic, 53 grams to kill a person. Wow. So which is actually close. quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like four times. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good times. So you think Three of like bit, in yeah. a teaspoon... Uh, of water, a teaspoon of water is about five grams. Yeah, but the brain damage from the metallic arsenic, right? Over yeah. time, I, uh, Maybe I'm not. gonna have to say I don't know. We're okay. not concerned about We're brain about LD50 damage. Here. Okay, all right, let's do okay. it. Okay, so then more more toxic or less toxic than metallic arsenic? Arsenic trioxide. Arsenic. Oh, oh more toxic. Well, that's more toxic. Yeah. 
My, oh yeah, arsenic trioxide. I it's mean, got if the, uh, the humbug right willies, there. if the yeah. humbug <laughs> willies taught us anything, yeah. So less than a gram of arsenic trioxide will ice a person, or actually ice half of the people in the study. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the thin and, ones. And so yeah, again, so a, a teaspoon of water, five grams, so a fifth the, of that. Do the people in these oh. studies who survive get the money from those who died? <laughs> Are we calling rats people? <laughs> <laughs> the hypothetical people do get the money from okay. the other people. But hypothetical money you can't really spend anywhere. Yeah. And also the debt. Yeah, and it just, turns out that the debt ratios for hypothetical people are pretty high. You oh, just yeah. loot the bodies and take their boots. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. More or less toxic than arsenic trioxide, strychnine. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to go arsenic trioxide is more deadly, but strychnine is more awful. <laughs> I'm going to say trioxide is still more deadly than strychnine. Yeah, me no. Too. Changing my mind. <laughs> Flip-flopping okay. on that. Strychnine is more deadly than arsenic trioxide. All right. Uh, I, I don't know, so I'm going to guess at the arsenic trioxide. Strychnine. Yeah. Ah. By quite a big margin. So oh. now we're talking about 100 milligrams. So 0.1 grams mm. will kill a person. Right. Like, it'll kill or half the people. Will kill the half the people. Yeah. Half of the hypothetical people. In the study. Kill 50 people. Yeah. Yes. Let's just, wow. let's just say there's going to be 50 people. <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's a, only if there's 100. It'll yeah. Kill 50 out well, of that's right. Yeah. yeah, this hypothetical study of hypothetical <laughs> right. people. Nicotine versus strychnine. I go with strychnine. Yeah, I got to stick with strychnine, too. It's the deadliest thing in the entire world ever. <laughs> oh, man, because I know nicotine's pretty bad, and you get, but you get so little of it when you smoke it. Uh, I'll stick with the guys, actually, strychnine. You're right. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's about two grams okay. for nicotine. Right. Okay. But So deadlier than caffeine? It is deadlier than caffeine. Don't mm. eat your cigarettes. It's a very bad <laughs> idea. It happens. Yeah. What? With sleep disorders and that kind of thing. Sometimes oh. people accidentally eat cigarettes or dogs or whatever will eat cigarettes and die. Yeah. Or sometimes when you're smoking, you get pulled over by a cop and you just go, oh, you swallow it, swallow like, it. Eat my cigarettes. Oh, my God. Very smoking a cigarette is illegal. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'd better. What? So, but you do that because you're high oh, yeah. from the weed. <laughs> and all the weed's gone because you smoked it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit, better eat it. And you start eating the cigarettes. Yeah. Okay. So then we have the one of the active ingredients in hemlock, which is conine, very similar to nicotine in structure and biochemical properties. Mm-hmm. Okay. More or less toxic than nicotine? More hem- Hemlock is more toxic than nicotine. I guess I'll agree with Kevin. Uh, yeah, okay. No. Oh. oh. Kevin, how could you do that <laughs> to me? Oh, I turned on you. I can't believe I did that to the rest of you. So the median lethal dose nicotine, about two grams per person. Conine or conin or it's two I's in a row. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. two I's in a row. Seven grams per person. So more okay, than wow. more than Triple. twice as much. Yeah, 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 more than three times as much. Wow! They should have made uh, Socrates smoke himself to death instead of you know drink or the hemlock. Make the tobacco really appetizing in some type of dish. Uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to kill him. You don't appetizing, schmappetizing. <laughs> Ricin. Oh, more oh, deadly. Yeah. More deadly than whatever. I don't care what you're comparing it against. Actually, very similar to nicotine. Oh, really? Yeah. It's uh, just under two grams per person, approximately. Huh. But more deadly? By a slight amount? By a slight amount. Yeah. Yeah, more deadly. And definitely more more deadly than the, the conine. 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 C-O-N-I-I-N-E. This is, I feel like there's a stutter on the I. There you go. Okay, so ricin was the last one? Yeah. Botulism toxin. Oh, botulinum that we talked about? Uh, I gotta go with. I'm gonna go with botulinum. I'm gonna go with the right. Uh, was, what was it? What was the ricin? Ricin. ricin. I go with ricin. Uh, botulinum. You bet. That is a ridiculously toxic substance. 
which is it's easy to get rid of. Just heat the food. You're set. It's uh-huh. going to denature the poison. You're good to go. But 70 nanograms. So you have nanograms. Nanograms. I've got a nanogram. Oh, <laughs> from my nana to you. No, from botulinum. So it's significantly less than 0.1 milligrams. Wow. So it's a tiny drop on your teaspoon. It's like a it's tiny a very, particle. very, it's... very, very tiny bit. I don't even think you could see 0.1 of a milligram. Yeah. Because a milligram is be... a thousandth of a gram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a gram is a fifth one... of a teaspoon of water. Yeah. And then you divide that by a thousand to get a, a thousand milligrams. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then you take a tenth of that. Oh, no. It's, it's smaller because this is nanogram. So we have milligram. And then microgram, and, and then, then nanogram, nanogram, and each of those are a factor of a thousand apart. Wow! Yeah, so this you is should, seventy should... nanograms. Yeah, you can't see that. With it's the like naked orders eye. of magnitude. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to no. avoid this. Beware yeah. of the <laughs> it makes your babies really limp. <laughs> <laughs> For starters. All right, this one's going to be easy. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I don't think botulism. that we can. I don't yeah. think we can compare to that. So we're going to go back up to ricin. Okay. Atropine. Atropine. That's the one in Deadly Nightshade. Yes. Atropine I'm... versus ricin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like two superheroes, a superhero and a supervillain going at it. Nightshade versus Ricin. Ricin sounds like something you eat. <laughs> I, guess I got rice in me. Beans, Actually, beans, on, on Castor the, beans and ricin. On the Wikipedia entry, it says ricin, not to be confused with rice. Yeah. <laughs> rice in uh, your dish. Very uh, recommended. Not to confuse ricin yeah. with rice. Well, I'm going to go with. You should change the name to Poisonium. Yes, been put it in a James Cameron movie. Uh, I'm going to go with Ricin as deadlier. Me too, than, me too, me too. Deadly Nightshade. Well, you're just cribbing everything I'm doing, are you? Uh, I agree. I think it is. No, you're all oh, wrong. Oh, Atropine is uh, less than half a gram. Oh, okay. So one of the deadlier things that we've discussed. But we yeah. talked about Ricin and saying one tiny little gram, one tiny my 500 micrograms is enough would, to yeah. kill a person. So Atropine, actually, one of the saying as far as looking at people that are affected with this is hot as a hair, blind as a bat, dry as a bone, red as a beet, and mad as a hatter. What does that all mean? (laughs) Well, it just refers to some of the symptoms. symptoms? So hot as a hair because you've got a a fever, but because it decreases secretions um, in your body, then you're not sweating or salivating. Okay. And so you're hot but dry, blind as a bat because it's affecting your eyes, red as a beet because of vasodilation, Mm -hmm. and um, mad as a hatter because it affects your brain. Mm. I don't recall hairs being particularly hot. That's my issue with how that many saying. how many hairs do you know? The rabbits. Yeah. Well, I think a rabbit and a hair are actually slightly different, but similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait. Are they how many super hot on fire? Have you had a cold rabbit? Rabbit? Have I had a cold rabbit at their regular temperature? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Atropine versus sodium cyanide. Cyanide. Sodium cyanide. I don't know what that is. Sodium. I'm going to go with atropine. That's that's uh, an, a sodium molecule on top of a cyanide. Mm-hmm. Atropine. Yeah, atropine. I atropine. I mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like the sodium probably makes the cyanide not as absorptive, but it could be the complete opposite. <laughs> They're actually pretty similar, but okay. atropine is More has a deadly-ish. yeah, it has a lower Slightly. medium lethal dose. Hooray for random guesses being right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still only a sixth of a gram for sodium cyanide. I fell victim to the PR campaign. I mean, you hear cyanide, you just think, deadly. Oh, it's deadly. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's <laughs> yeah. just not, we're this talking, again, relative sixth of a gram, you yeah. should probably yeah. not go snacking. Yeah, yeah. And finally, cure air. 
versus Kurari? sodium cyanide. Kurari. Kurari. Uh, I'm going to stick with the cyanide. I... Yeah, me too. I'll go with curare. So this is a trick question because if you'll remember, it has no oral effect. Oh. oh. I don't remember. Wait, does that mean I win? You win. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we flipped a bunch of coins and Torin got the most heads. Well, wait. So it was that why you were cribbing all my answers so that I couldn't catch up to you? That means this is all strategy all along? Oh, Torin the gamer. Oh, wow. In the history. As early as 4500 BC, the Sumerians were the first to document the lethal effects of poisoning. They even worshipped a goddess of poisoning known as Gula. Nice. Paintings in Egyptian tombs from around 3000 BC describe a procedure for extracting poison cyanide from the pits of peaches. Peaches? Murder with poison took a giant leap peaches. forward. Peaches? <laughs> Millions of peaches. Peaches for me. Uh, murder with poison took a giant leap forward in the 8th century when an Arab chemist synthesized synthesized arsenic into an odorless, tasteless powder that oh. easily dissolved in water. Oh. Arsenic poison became rampant and essentially escaped criminal detection for the next 10 centuries. Wow, that's a long run. In 1650, an Italian poisoner named Madame Tofana used arsenic trioxide to poison more than 600 people, including two popes. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> in Germany and France, schools of poison were opened and conducted a brisk business teaching students how to kill with poison. God, how many how many people would cut class at poison school? <laughs> no, they would, uh, if you cut class, they wouldn't tell you how to antidote what you were going to find <laughs> in your drinking water that night. It's like you had to be in class so you knew how to like oh, cure what else. Oh, the hazing for that school. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. There's a lot of curare and like, you know, chest <laughs> compressions, right? <laughs> I paralyzed all night. Yeah. Uh, early methods for detection of poison were crude and imprecise, which led to mm. widespread food tasters. Yeah. Okay. Medieval rulers experimented with crystal goblets and stones reputed to detect poison on contact. As a scientist, how oh. effective do you think goblets and stones would be to counteract poison? Probably not very. Probably not very, which is why the most trusted method was by far and away the food taster. Yep. By tradition, food to be tested before it was served to the ruler was set on a sideboard. And the Italian word credenza comes from the Latin credential, meaning confidence. Hmm. So if it came from the credenza, then you could be confident that your food oh, was untainted. So now, but a lot of these uh, poisons just take like months and months to work or they just cause brain damage and stuff like that. So Yeah, but some of that's more the, um, you know, the mercuries and the, uh, the stuff that wasn't in widespread use right. uh, okay. in, historically. Historically, it was a lot of Hemlock. cyanides, mm -hmm. hemlocks. Nightshade, And again, it has to do with the dose. So yeah. if you're poisoning someone, you're probably not doing something that is going to take a while to accumulate and take a while to have Unless effect. You're insidious. But you probably don't even know that because if you're studying a substance that you're going to use to try and poison someone, you're probably going to poison a couple dogs and be like, oh, they died. Awesome. Oh, those ones didn't die. That must not have been a good enough poison. And so you wouldn't use it. Right, even though the dogs would die through it 30 days later. Especially if you kept poisoning them. But as a poisoner, that seems like a bit of a chore. And you don't know what, what, you'll never know what it was that made it reach critical mass, right? You know, if you try seven different poisons on a dog, it could have just been the accumulation, right? Animals were often fed the remains of a victim's last meal to determine if it contained poison. Interesting, interesting. In ancient China, cooked rice was stuffed into the victim's mouth, removed after one hour, and fed to a chicken. If the chicken <laughs> died, it, it was decided that poison was the culprit. So the tricky part here is that 
<laughs> a lot of toxic substances have really different effects on uh, different species. And yeah. so that's why, you know, our quiz, we focused on rats because it can be d- even difference between rat and mouse and definitely a difference between a rat and a human. Those are mammals. Mm-hmm. We move into the realm of chickens. <laughs> we have, you know, some slightly different chemistry going on. Mm-hmm. And I feel that there was probably quite a few poisoners that got away with it. How about people who were innocent and That'd the chicken be- just died, just croaked? Very unlucky. Very unlucky. And, and don't chickens have stones in their gullet anyway? And they've said that stones they thought would oh, fight yeah. poison. Why don't you oh, just yeah. cut the chase and stick yeah. the chicken right into the mouth of the poison, <laughs> mouth of the poison <laughs> yeah, that's victim? Right. Get rid of the rice middleman. Yeah. Mithridates, king of Pontus, an enemy of Rome, tested poison antidotes on prisoners and ate a mixture of 54 ingredients to protect himself against poisoning. Oh, how did that work out? Uh, I don't think he died from poisoning. Unless he did it to himself. Yeah, one of his ingredients was nightshade. <laughs> no, 54 poisonous ingredients to create antidote in himself. Oh. He had that was that 54 different poisons in a single cocktail. That's a recipe for disaster if I've ever heard one. How did he die? When Mithridates Mithridates six was at last defeated by Pompey and in danger of capture by Rome, he's alleged to have attempted suicide by poison. This attempt failed, however, because of his immunity to the poison. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Cassius deals Roman history on the other hand records his death as a murder. All right. <laughs> that is awesome that he spent his whole life making himself immune to poison yeah. and tried to but he's he's got I got all these poisons lying around I might as well use them and then <laughs> this ah, has got to work. It worked. Damn it. <laughs> well, and for some poisons and some toxic substances in general it is possible to develop a tolerance over time if you're using low enough doses and how this would work um, at least for some of them, would be to... So, you know, if you're having a neurotransmitter that's sort of... Uh, or a neuroreceptor, rather, that's being blocked by a certain poison, mm. then if you had that over time, you might develop more of those sensors. Right, or create a new pathway or whatever. Right? Well, you probably couldn't create a whole new pathway. Unless right. you're an X-Man. Yeah, if you're an X-Man, you probably could. Yeah. But you could make it so that each one of the cells that you're trying to influence had more receptors on its surface mm. so that they were harder to saturate with the toxin okay. and that kind of thing. So you could increase over time your tolerance to certain toxins. And it depends on the mechanism whether this would work or whether it wouldn't. But there's definitely possibility for some of them. The Roman Emperor Nero commandeered slaves to eat and differentiate between edible and poisonous mushrooms. He ate the slaves? <laughs> Yeah, the ones that lived. (laughs) Well, they didn't eat anything poisonous. I'll eat them. (laughs) How much do you love mushrooms when you're like, all right, I want to eat every mushroom in the land, but I can't. Some of them are poisonous. I think it's more like. How much do you not care about your slaves? <laughs> Where you're like, I sort of like mushrooms, but I really don't care about the slaves. So I might as well have them test the mushrooms. But how lucky are you if you're a slave that loves mushrooms and you don't eat a bunch of poison ones? How lucky are you for a while? <laughs> yeah, maybe guess. maybe this is how he laid off some slaves he couldn't afford anymore. Oh, yeah, you we got to lay off lay slaves. Off. We got to <laughs> we got to we got to cut off how much food I'm feeding them. So uh-huh. let's have half of them die to mushroom poisoning while I find out which mushrooms are poisonous. Well, Nero was nutty. I mean, he was nutty. He was so nutty that in fact he employed a woman named Lacusta, who was his personal poisoner. Hmm. She helped him murder his brother with cyanide and also poisoned several of his wives when they became problematic. <laughs> that seems like a handy wives. employee. Yeah, you don't want to cross Lacusta. Nope. Also, probably a pretty decent job because, uh, you know, over her entire career, she, what, killed his brother and a few of his wives, like five or six people over, mm-hmm. what, 20 years of yeah. working? You're mostly sitting around 
No, I mean, she's... Being ready. They recognize that she probably killed hundreds of people in the course of her oh, career. Okay. You know, a lot of political enemies and whatnot. Sure. And, you know... If she Once was, you got a, a poisoner on staff, you, like every every when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yeah. When you when you have a poisoner on staff, every problem looks like poison will solve it. <laughs> well, if she was taking good notes, she was probably contributing to some decent knowledge about you know oh, yeah, poisons and how those work, Look and figuring you. out which ones to poison the next king with. Look at you, little Miss Silver Lining <laughs> over there. Uh, Christopher Columbus carried dogs on his second voyage to taste foods given to his crew by natives of newfound cultures. Yeah, I don't trust those guys. Don't trust those savages. <laughs> they could try to help you in some way. Yeah, exactly. Instead, you, you they give you food, you go, ah, 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 and then you feed it to your dogs, right? Hopefully could, none of them gave them chocolate. Could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went to the new world. <laughs> One account of the food tasting process for a minor lord in India from the perspective of the taster. Food was kept under lock and key. Before entering the kitchen, the cook would bathe and change into different clothes. Guards would check his pockets and turban to make sure he wasn't hiding anything. When the food was ready, some of each dish was fed to a dog. Next, I would taste, then the guards. The food would go to table under armed escort. Several trusted generals would test it. Finally, the lord and his guest would exchange bits of each dish. Terrible on so many levels. <laughs> Did you breathe? I don't think so. <laughs> I didn't either. So, yeah, I love the fact that it, the food was tested like a dog had it, then the taster had it, then the guards ate it. I mean, imagine how much food they had to make. They would have to make like 10 times as much food as they actually needed. If I was the taster in this case, I would worry about my job being redundant. Because clearly, well, you're the one right after the dog, people. though. You're the one right after the dog. So, oh no, you need the dog. You need the guards. I don't know about the taster. Well, yeah, you know, but yeah, you need you need that 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 human filter between the dog and the and the guards. This is just the the level of the job security, right? Mm-hmm. The dog is the tester for the tester. Yeah, and then the tester is the tester for the guards. Yeah, that's right. The guards are the tester for, for the, the king. No, for, for the, the general. For the generals. And the generals are the tester for the lord and his right. guests. So there you go. And the lord and his guest would randomly select things from each other's plates and feed it to the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> Paranoid much? Sounds like a good party. <laughs> oh, yeah? We should Just have a poisoning of... party. <laughs> I suggest you don't put that on the flyer. But instead, oh. <laughs> instead of actual harmful chemicals, you put in some kind of hallucinogen. Oh, yeah. So, they, okay. so whoever gets the poison get, has a fun trip. Do they win yeah. or do they lose? Uh, well, that depends on how good their trip is. No, you oh, know okay. what you do is you dose everything, yeah. but just with different stuff. Yeah, there you One go. One of them has crystal meth. Ah. <laughs> One of them has ecstasy. Okay, pass. Right. One of them has acid. Now I will tell you about 1902's Poison Squad. Okay. The Poison Squad in Washington, D.C. Its leader was the Agriculture Department Chief's chemist, Dr. Harvey Wiley. The man with two first names. I like it. Yeah. W- Wiley is a first name? I guess for a coyote. If you're a coyote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and my dad. Oh, your dad's name is Wiley? Yeah. I had no idea. Uh-huh. The goal of the Poison Squad was simple. They were tasked with trying some of the most commonly used food additives in order to determine the effects. Okay. Well, it's in food already, so it can't mm-hmm. be bad for you, right? During each of the trials, well, this is 1902, remember? Okay. All right. Okay. So, yeah, it could. <laughs> During each of the trials, the members would eat steadily increasing amounts of each additive, carefully tracking the impact that it had on their bodies. Okay. They would stop when the members started to get sick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dr. Jenna Mochaccino. 
is this the kind of method that you would employ in your uh, you know scientific research? Well, if they're keeping careful records, it's not completely unscientific to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. The human lab rats were quote twelve young clerks, vigorous and voracious. Uh huh. They have to be to eat all that food. <laughs> All were graduates of the civil service exam. All were screened for high moral character. Of course. You can't have immoral people eating poison. And all had reputations for sobriety and reliability. Oh, yeah. Because you don't want people... Most of my friends don't even pass this test. (laughs) No. You don't want drunks, like, because that might skew the results, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you stop when they they start getting sick. It's like, well, what'd you do last night? No. (laughs) They took oaths pledging one year of service promising to only eat food that was prepared in the Poison Squad's kitchen. Right, for control purposes. And waiving their right to sue the government for damages, including death, <laughs> that might result from their participation, participation wow. in the program. Okay. Um, um, I don't have an exact figure, but okay. most of the squad members didn't get extra pay for hazardous duty. Ah. So whatever, whatever a minor clerk... The yeah. government got paid in 1902. Mm-hmm. Before each meal, they had to weigh themselves, take their temperatures, and check their pulse rates. Their stools, urine, hair, and sweat were collected. Wow, collecting sweat. And they had to submit to weekly physicals. That's a good job. <laughs> so Wiley's first target was borax, one of the most common food preservatives in 1902. It tightened up animal proteins, giving the impression of freshness. Okay. Packers often used it to disguise decomposing meat. Oh, so not only do you take bad meat, funky meat, but then you cover it in a dangerous preservative. Well, at that point, it wasn't deemed dangerous necessarily. Well, it wasn't deemed dangerous, but I'm guessing I know how this story's going to end. So you get the double whammy, right? You get the bad meat... Plus the additive. Well, I don't think these particular guys were necessarily getting bad meat. Oh, they were oh, yeah. just getting the borax. Not on the poison squad, but the, the general public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So from October 1902 to July 1903, Wiley's squad ate it with every meal. Okay. Wiley became known as Old Borax. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just Borax, 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 day yep. and night. <laughs> oh, borax again. <laughs> the group determined that Borax did indeed cause headaches, stomach aches, and other digestive pains, mm-hmm. in addition to imparting an unpleasant flavor to the food. Okay. <laughs> yeah, more pleasant or less pleasant than rotten meat. <laughs> <laughs> so with Borax defeated, the Poison Squad moved on to test other common additives, including sulfuric acid, saltpeter, and formaldehyde. Okay. <laughs> delicious, delicious, delicious formaldehyde. formaldehyde. Yeah, okay. Every time you walk in that biology lab back in grade 11, you get that formaldehyde smell. I yeah, just, ever since they took it out of the food, I just I just can't get that taste. Yeah, you just start get get salivating. That Every time you smell that formaldehyde in the air, I just get, oh, so hungry. One of their targets, copper sulfate, was especially disturbing. Used by food producers to turn canned peas a brighter shade of green. Okay. It also caused nausea, diarrhea, Vomiting, liver damage, kidney damage, brain damage, and jaundice. Yeah, but what's all that compared to green peas? <laughs> I know. Look at this. Look how green these peas are. <laughs> Today, it is most commonly used as a pesticide. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> Even after Wiley's squad managed to demonstrate the negative effects of several additives, he still had to fight against the powerful food lobby. 
In fact, the Secretary of Agriculture himself suppressed several of the Poison Squad's reports. The one on benzoic acid only got out because a staffer misunderstood his orders and sent it out to print while the secretary was on vacation. Okay, there you go. Accidental uh, good thing happening. Although I do, I do want to say the food lobby sounds like somewhere I'd like to hang out. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love waiting in the food lobby. That's one lobby I don't mind waiting. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I bet you they have a great buffet in the food lobby. Wiley's efforts eventually paid off. In 1906, Congress passed the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act, the first federal laws aimed at food regulation. Uh, government mm. getting in our way again. Yep. Yeah. Damn How dare government. they tell me I can't eat borax? <laughs> I bet daft cells went through the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Daft. Ah! <laughs> again, I was doing shaft, not <laughs> yeah. flash. Oh. And yet you, we always make the same mistake every time. Because we're white. No, because he needs to start going, daft, oh yeah. yeah. That's what he needs to do. Yeah, that's true. I was doing the, the ladies. The ladies. Shaft. And I can dig it. The Standard Oil Refinery in New Jersey was nicknamed the Looney Gas Building. <laughs> Is that Where, because they had lots of Canadian coins? Ba-dee, 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 that's all <laughs> that living, folks. good guess. It was more due to the fact that they were handling a new gasoline additive that was making them sick. Okay. The additive's technical name was tetraethyl lead, or industrial shorthand TEL. It was developed by researchers at General Motors as an anti-knocking formula. So you don't get that knocking noise in your, in your engine, correct? Hello, are your engines here? <laughs> I think there's somebody in my engine trying to get out. So even though... Tetraethyl lead had already been banned in Europe for years due to its toxic nature. Right. U.S. corporations still hurried TEL into production in the 20s. Well, just because Europe's doing it. Men, work, men working at the plant quickly gave it the loony gas nickname because anyone who spent much time inside showed signs of mental deterioration, stumbling, memory loss, and twitchy bursts of rage. <laughs> in October 1924, workers in the TEL building began collapsing, going into convulsions, and babbling deliriously. By the end of September, 32 of the 49 TEL workers were in the hospital, and five of them had died. 32 of the 49? That's a lot. That's, That's a, a high, high percentage. percentage. In response to the worker health crisis at the plant, Standard Oil suggested the problem might simply be overworked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know when you're, uh, you've been working all day, and then you start going into convulsions <laughs> and, and dying? And incoherently yeah, and yeah. dying. I like how the, they were under so much pressure, and this condition was so bad. That their excuse was actually something pointing a finger at themselves. Yeah, we're working them to death. Yeah. We're not actually poisoning. No, we're not poisoning them. No, no, it's just the working conditions are so bad. It's so hard. And (laughs) these people are so frustrated that they're going fucking crazy and convulsing on the floor. Toxicity is not an issue. Uh, TEL formed a recognizable distribution concentrating in the lungs, the brain, and the bones. The highest levels were in the lungs, suggesting that most of the poison had been inhaled. Mm -hmm. Tests showed that the types of masks used by Standard Oil did not filter out lead vapors. And that seems like an important thing Again, that they should do. Yeah, protective laboratory equipment, yeah. not so much protective against what you're trying to protect against. So you have a lead additive, and you got a factory putting your lead additive and your gas together, but the masks you give your employees do not filter out lead vapor. No, mostly for show. <laughs> Nice. Uh, rubber gloves did protect the hands, but if TEL splattered and made any direct contact with skin on any other part of the body, it absorbed alarmingly quickly. Ooh. The result was intense poisoning with lead, a potent neurotoxin. Mm-hmm. New York City banned TEL in the sale of any preparation containing lead or other deleterious substances oh, as good. an additive to gasoline. So did New Jersey. So did the city of Philadelphia. All right. So 
Story's over, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think it. anyone lives anywhere else. Check the box. <laughs> Afraid that the trend would accelerate and spread across the country, and they'd be forced to find another anti-knocking compound, the manufacturing companies demanded the federal government take over the investigation. Oh. In mm. January of 1926, the Public Health Service released a report which concluded there was no danger posed by adding lead to gasoline. And no reason to prohibit the sale of leaded gasoline as long as workers were well protected during the manufacturing process. And the federal government revoked all bans on production and sale of leaded gas. Wow. So what they do, ask the survivors who were so crazy that they couldn't <laughs> say that it had anything to do with it? Well, they were hardly fit to make testimony. It was some 60 years later in 1986 that the United States formally banned lead as a gasoline additive. By that time, so much lead had been deposited into soils, streets, building surfaces that so you estimated... Taste it. Yeah, if you licked, if you licked the side, if you licked the road, you could totally taste the lead. So don't lick arrows that are sitting on roads in oh, case they're yes. in lead Bangladesh. Contaminated. Don't go. sit don't arrows do sitting on roads in Bangladesh. You That's get, what we've like, learned. Three kinds of poison. Yeah. Right there. yeah, you're okay with South America. Still lick arrows in South America. Yeah. An estimated 68 million children would register toxic levels of lead absorption, and Ooh. some 5,000 Americans would die annually of lead-induced heart disease. As lead affects cognitive function, some neuroscientists also suggested that chronic lead exposure resulted in a measurable drop in IQ scores during the leaded gas era. Oh, they call that the lead dumbening. <laughs> I would like to make a political joke, but I'm not going to. Or a, a, a uh, not politically correct joke? There is actually some pretty impressive correlation between the use of leaded gasoline and crime rates. Again, it's it's hard to prove causation here, right. but when you look at the graph of gas lead in tons per 1,000 people compared to violent crimes per 100,000 people, the numbers line up shockingly high. Yeah. And we had a, a leaded gas really came into the forefront in the late 40s, 50s, and then 60s and got used up until 86 when it got banned. Mm -hmm. And the crime rate peaks in the mid-80s, and then after they banned leaded gas, drops like crazy. Uh, it's lower now well, than it was it, before World War II. Maybe it's just because people were stealing leaded gas, and now that they banned it, there was no more leaded well, gas to steal. Violent crimes. You'd have to, like, punch somebody and steal their leaded gas. Oh, I'd do it. Yeah. Punch them with leaded gas. There you go. Because it's got lead in it, so it goes clang when you hit them with it, right? No, it doesn't go clang. No, That's why they were adding it to the gas. Um, lead's more of a thud. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I think what the real problem was? The reason that they got this, like, this ban revoked was probably because tetraethyl lead doesn't really sound all that threatening. I mean, he's got Ethel right in the middle. So you need She's deadly night lead? Yeah, deadly night lead, exactly. Mm -hmm. Then now, mm -hmm. you would have all those, ex mm -hmm. you know.
In the news. October 2013, New Delhi, India. The headmistress of a school in India and her husband, where a pesticide-contaminated lunch killed 23 children, have been formally charged with murder. I don't want to start off with saying what happened. No, never mind. I'll continue from there. A forensic investigation ordered by the state government found monocrotophos. Well, that's a mouthful. Yeah. That's a mouthful. It was was probably hard for them to eat it. Monocrotophos. Monocrotophos. There we go. On eating utensils and vegetables left over from the meal served at the school. Monocrotophos is an organophosphate insecticide and is acutely toxic to birds and, sadly, humans. Oh, crossing the human-bird barrier. (laughs) (laughs) A persistent organic pollutant, it has been banned in the U.S. and many other countries. The husband bought the pesticide from a local sugar factory and stored it in the same room as groceries intended for school lunches. Oh, that sounds like a bad idea. The food was cooked in the pesticide instead of mustard oil. Uh, Well, wait a minute. The pesticide have a label with maybe the skull and crossbones. It doesn't mean anything I, yeah. to rural people in there India. You go. Maybe she took it off. Uh, the I, school cook noticed the oil had a strange color and a foul smell, but the headmistress told her to serve the food anyway. Okay. The cook was hospitalized after tasting the food, but has since recovered. The children also complained about the smell and taste of the food, but the headmistress forced them to eat it. Oh, this nice. Is right back to Humbug oh. Willie again. Yeah. Because Humbug Willie had one of his candies. It made him sick. Yes. And he still served it. The cook says, this doesn't smell right, takes a taste, makes her sick, and the headmistress goes, serve it. Well, we don't know how long it took to make him sick, though. True. Coincidentally, the accused couple's nephew and niece, both of whom studied at the school, were at home on the day of the poisoning and did not receive any of the contaminated food. Damn So do you think this is maybe just a a disgruntled employee situation? It's like, damn it, this job would be so much easier if it wasn't for these pesky kids. Organophosphates? which you mentioned this was a mm-hmm. pesti- pesticide, they cause an interesting syndrome called sludge syndrome. Oh, sludge oh. syndrome. For <laughs> salivation, right. lacrimation, urination, diaphoresis, <laughs> gastrointestinal motility, and emesis. Oh, okay. So, so I don't know what emesis everything is, leaks. but yeah. Everything <laughs> leaks. Called sludge syndrome. Sludge oh, syndrome. and it's kind of like, it, it's it's kind of what it means, right? Like everything leaks and it create, you get sludgy. You just get a sludge. What is it? It's kind of everything. Yeah. It's called sludge. Oh, like so kids are leaving like sludge trails. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a snail. Spit, tears, pee. Poo. Uh, no, sweat. Yeah, poo and um, and vomit. Okay. Yeah, this is like the ultimate food poisoning, right? And diarrhea. I'm just imagining yeah. it like yeah, geysering out of every orifice. Sorry. Yeah, totally. Just like fountaining. Yeah. Like you're one of those, one of those uh, lawn toys. That like spin. Oh, the sprinkler, yeah, the, the sprinkler, the wacky octopus sprinkler <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, you're like that, only with you everything know, bodily fluids. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this syndrome can actually be treated with low levels of atropine. Oh, because they're opposing neurotoxins. Right. Okay. So they you fight a neurotoxin with a neurotoxin. Well, everything that's neurologically related is sort of a balance. Okay. Uh, between the 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 go and the and the slow down systems. Right. And so you shift that balance one way or the other, you get sick. You shift it back the other way, you get a little less sick. All right. Okay. All right. Hey, at that point in time, I'm sure a lot of them would take in it. You know, I like living and all that stuff, but... Uh... <laughs> Do you, though? But? Do you? <laughs> but? There's a but on that? I like living, but... Yeah, but like, say, for instance, that you had to endure this kind of activity for a really long time. Like, you would probably okay, be lying yeah. there in bed going, oh, I wish I were dead. October 2013, California. Okay. A new type of botulinum toxin, the most toxic substance known to man. All right, so this is the thing that we talked about. Agree? Yeah, the, the 70 nanograms. Nanograms. Nanograms, yeah. nanograms per right. person. 
has been discovered in the feces of a child suffering from botulism. Okay. A oh. new type of botulinum toxin. Okay. All right. Botulinum toxin type H. Okay. A naturally occurring toxin can lead to botulism in humans. Injecting a mere two billionth of a two billionths of a gram. Uh huh. Or inhaling thirteen billionths of a gram of the protein botulinum produced by the soil bacterium Clostridium botulinum will kill an adult. The toxin blocks the release of acetylcholine. Yep. The chemicals secreted by nerves that make muscles work. People who accidentally ingest it, as can happen when the bacteria grow in food, develop botulism, and often die of paralysis, as previously stated. Right. So the the two billionths of a gram, that's two nanograms. That's what a nanogram is, a billionth of a gram. We've got botulinum A, for instance. Yeah. Right? And then it kind of, what happens? Does it uh, mutates into B, and then it mutates a little bit more into C, and they're just all slight variations on a theme? I think the A and B is, A was the first discovered, B was the second discovered, C was the third, because this is the eighth discovered I'm guessing that it's a combination of both of those answers, and because the bacteria are going to be evolving slightly, they're going to be slightly different strains of the same species of bacteria um, that might have slightly different amino acid sequences in the toxin, which, as we discussed, is an enzyme. People suffering from botulism are generally treated with antibodies, but researchers have yet to develop anything that's effective against botulinum toxin type H. Ooh, okay. Usually a new toxin's DNA sequence would be added to a public database, but as there's no effective treatment, there are worries type H could be utilized as in a biological attack. Ah. Oh. Because of this, the team that made the discovery has taken an unprecedented decision to keep the toxin's DNA sequence secret. Oh, okay. So how strange is that in, like, the scientific community? It is strange because, yeah, the the sequence would normally be in a public database that's available for anyone to use. And one of the major reasons this is for is so that research can proceed as fast as possible because right. everyone has the right information. Right. Because so then you can look at it and go, okay, how do we figure out how to cure this thing? We need to have all the info. Exactly. And one of the things – so they're talking about treating it with an antibody. And so monoclonal antibodies are proteins that – they're kind of like a key and lock situation where they – they fit something else really well. And so then they can attach to it. And by being attached to it, it's kind of like, you know, you trying to run a marathon. If you have a toddler attached to your leg, it's not very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> so well, then, I like leg, this though. analogy. I like the way this analogy You're going to have one on each leg. Otherwise, your balance gets thrown <laughs> yeah. off, though. Because then now I'm just starting to think about we were walking around with babies strapped to the legs. It's <laughs> like, you know how you attach those little wristlets to your arms to yeah. get a better workup? Same, same idea. Same idea. So the antibodies glom onto something and then stop it from being able to do anything. So in the case of the toxin, then it can't block the the release of that neurotransmitter anymore and so mm. everything works as normal. So it takes a while to develop a monoclonal antibody that can be used as a therapeutic agent because you need to make sure that it in a in and of itself isn't toxic to you, Um, as well as be able to develop. They need to be produced in biological systems, so you need to develop that cell line that then is going to produce that that then you can use. So it takes a while to develop that. And one of the things you'd actually use or could actually use to be able to develop the right antibody to target type H would be that sequence of the toxin itself because you need the thing itself to design something that then is going to interact with it very, very strongly. Right. So this is basically preventing it from being used as a weapon in the interim before we have an antibody that can be used to treat it. But it's restricting the ability of us to create the antibody to treat it. It's it's restricting that to a small group that has to do it sort of in isolation, which hopefully, if they keep it under wraps close enough, hopefully will work. 
But the problem is because it is a naturally occurring substance, if anyone else gets a hold of that strain, mm-hmm. they can get a hold of that toxin, which then they will be able to figure that out themselves. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's and this is assuming sounds because, like a good it's a plot for a movie. Just because these are the guys that actually discovered it doesn't mean that these are the guys who are particularly best suited to figuring out how to fix it, right? Like they found it in a baby feces. I mean, they just could be like people who are you know feces freaks or something, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Right? We can't rule it out. I no. suspect it might not be the truth. Considering the DNA sequence, what they found in the feces, I'm gonna give um, them the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing. That's not that hard anymore. I could Google that in like an afternoon. <laughs> I figure out how to do that. Pop culture. Of course, there's lots of poisons in mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of Agatha course. Christie, uh-huh. Sherlock Holmes. Yep. Those sorts of things. Yep. Lots Andy. of. I mean, a lot they're... more subtle than a knife in the back. In, and in recently, the toxin from hydrated rhododendron is used in the 2009 film Sherlock Holmes to induce an apparently mortal paralysis in the movie's chief antagonist, Lord Blackwood. Oh, okay. Who remembers any of that? I've seen the movie, but I don't remember the details because it was a big, dumb, fun action movie. Yeah. So all those details. And well, <laughs> it was yeah. Lord Blackwood says he's been, you know, sentenced to die, and he says he's going to come back from the grave. And then it turns out oh, yeah. in flashback that he put himself into this paralysis so that he could, you know, climb out of his own tomb. And then everyone would think he was this immortal sorcerer and do whatever he thought he wanted. In the manga Battle Royale, one mm. of the kids' assigned weapon is hydrocyanic acid. What's hydrocyanic acid? Oh, it's got water involved. It's water? Splash water in people's faces? It's a cyanide-based poison. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, water and cyanide. She uses it to poison food intended for uh, one of the characters. I don't remember if that was... I didn't actually watch the movie all the way through, so I don't know if that made it to the movie yeah. from the manga. Anyone? Uh, it did, yeah. Okay. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Poison oh, apple. Of course. Magical did poison. They, did they name the poison? They did not name the poison. <laughs> It might have been, uh, you know. Is there a poison that makes you go to sleep until somebody handsome kisses you? Mm. No. <laughs> I, was she on a respirator? Oh. <laughs> she was in like a glass case. Yeah. Yeah. That, that she could have been pumping stuff in Oxygen? from like yeah. underground or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> or he could have just had some kind of antidote on his lips. Or those dwarves could have put her into suspended animation. Uh-huh. They How? might have that kind of the technology. High dwarf technology, all steampunky they were, they or whatever. They were miners. They had access to metal and forges and stuff. Mm-hmm. How come they never show him lifting off the glass case? Like, did they know he was coming? I don't know. Oh. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah, I, I can't even remember. I saw when it came out in 1936. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Precisely. It was the uh, first feature-length animation <laughs> film. I want whatever toxin you're on if you're yeah. <laughs> First feature-length uh, cell animated. Yes. Yeah. I don't think they had computer animation back then. <laughs> Arsenic and Old Lace? I saw it years ago. I watched it. I thought it was pretty entertaining back in the day. Yeah, I watched it years ago, and then I watched it again this week. Okay. I disliked it much more the second time. Oh, really? It did not hold up. It. And my main issue was with Cary Grant's kind of madcap mugging to the camera. <laughs> yes. Which... I mean, his his voice, right? Uh, just something about it kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> it's hey, talks like this. Sometimes, sometimes. What are you talking about? Stop talking about that. There's some of those moments and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but it's it reminded me looking back. You know how Shia LaBeouf is in Transformers. Okay, where he's like <laughs> yeah. manic all the time. There's just, just no low setting. Well, what, what do you want? You want me to talk? I'm talking. I'm talking. I can. I can go. We can. What are you talking about? I'm the, this is like the 1940s yeah. version of that. Okay. Oh yeah.
And everyone else in the movie is kind of a caricature as well. There's the old ladies. Yeah. The plot, if you don't know, is Cary Grant gets married, is going to move in with his aunts. Uh, his two aunts have been murdering people with arsenic, yeah. actually a cocktail of different chemicals, right. including arsenic, in the tea. Mm-hmm. People who were lonely or lost or whatever, they yeah. didn't consider it murder. They just considered it because they're crazy. Yeah. They just considered it, oh, we're hell getting along to the, 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 the better the, place. Yeah, better place, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And uh, and then they bury their bodies in the basement. Mm-hmm. And his uncle it, thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. And then his brother shows up, and he's like a career criminal who's had his face lo- changed by Peter Laurie to look like Boris Karloff. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. I seem to when I watched the first time, I thought it was kind of kooky fun. I didn't expect it to be uh, you know that colorful from a black and white movie. If you can get through the first. 20 minutes of this movie, yeah. you can watch it to the end. Right. But okay. if by that 20 minute mark, you're like, okay, I've had enough, then there's nothing else in this movie that's you, yeah. specifically going <laughs> to well, change it. It won a bunch of awards, didn't it? Yeah, it gets a really high rating. It's like 8 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. But uh, it's, the second time I watched it, just couldn't, it was yeah, well, kind of like torture. Spoilers, to me. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was what did it. <laughs> A little bit of IMDb trivia. Ronald Reagan and Jack Benny were offered the role of Mortimer Brewster, the character played by Cary Grant. They turned it down, obviously. Bob Hope was offered the part and was eager to do it, but Paramount Pictures refused to loan him out to Warner Brothers for the project. I think that Bob Hope would have done a much better job than Cary Grant. Oh. I mean, well, Bob Hope is more comedic. You know, Nobody else has an opinion on Bob Hope versus Cary Grant? I, it's hard for me. I don't really like the old-timey movies. Like, they, they, they're slower and uh, black. Not this one. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's hard for me to compare. I don't really have much of an opinion. What are, what are your feelings on Doctor Who? Uh, big, <laughs> big fan. Don't we know this? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of good uh, poisoning uh, episodes, uh, The Unicorn and The Wasp. It's like an Agatha Christie uh, murder mystery in, you know, uh, in a, a mansion up in a remote location. And uh-huh. I know who the murder we're going to find out who the murderer is. And Agatha Christie is actually a character in the show, which is cool. Uh, but the doctor, who is not human, gets poisoned by cyanide by the killer because much like in an Agatha Christie murder mystery, uh, people start dying off. And eventually right. it's his turn, but of course he's the doctor, mm-hmm. so uh, they make it so he doesn't die with some absolutely ridiculous kind of alien MacGyvering. Is that a verb? Uh, MacGyvering? It is now. <laughs> I, I just verbed that, that noun. He metabolizes it and de- detoxifies himself using a combination of proteins, salt, and a shock, which is a kiss from his companion that he's not attracted to, uh, and uh, the advantage of his non-human physiology. And then he oh. breathes out this gas to, that signifies that he's expelling the poison from his body. Mm. It's ridiculous. Well, hopefully it's it wasn't hydrogen cyanide gas, because then he's basically poisoning, poisoning all of his yeah. compatriots. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, Whoops, forgot about that. That would have been good if they'd all dropped dead. That, I'd see, that I would have approved of all this then. But the more interesting one is when the doctor himself uses cyanide to actually murder somebody. Ooh, oh. tell me more. So there was a, uh, there's a special show called The Five Doctors, uh, which had, boy, I'm trying to remember which ones. It had five of the doctors One of them the time. had a scarf. It was one of those special ones where all the doctors were uh, together at the same time. And there's a character named Shockeye of the Gonsing Grig, who is an androgum chef. The androgum is this primitive alien species with uh-huh. big red eyebrows. It's just, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just love to eat, like just eat constantly. And this one, the whole show talks about wanting to try human flesh. Oh. And ends up 
murdering somebody. Who does? Andrew Shock- Gum? Shockeye ends up uh, stabbing uh, somebody in the, uh, in the chest with a meat knife and kills him. Then later on, Shockeye is trying to uh, capture the doctor, the sixth doctor. The doctor uses cyanide left by the guy who had been killed when he was hunting moths to smother Shockeye. Oh, okay. Like he gets into a fight with him and has the cloth and puts it over his mouth. So that he inhales it, and Shockeye gets killed by it and oh, dies. Self defense, though. So it's right. it kind of self defense, <laughs> right. but the doctor's a pacifist who doesn't like killing, and he just goes, "Yeah, whatever," and kills him. Like, well, it's, he did have uh, big orange like, eyebrows. <laughs> it's yeah, he had it coming for sure. Well, I mean, he was a bad guy, but the doctor yeah. generally conveniently doesn't have to be the one who kills people. They end up getting killed by the plot. I so. want to uh, talk about 2007's Into the Wild. It's a true story based on a book written posthumously. The character, uh, and he's a real human being, had this romantic idea about he was going to go off and live in the wilderness. He was going to escape the trappings of modern yeah. society and yep. hitchhike all the way to Alaska. And he got out there and he just walked out into the middle of the wilderness and he found an abandoned bus. Uh, as the supplies began to run out, he decided he wanted to return from the wild. However, the stream he crossed safely during the winter had become too wide and deep to cross back. Desperate, McCandless was forced to gather and eat roots and plants, but he confused similar plants. He had a like a, a book okay. that basically told you which ones were dangerous and which ones were not, but he uh, misidentified them and became ill, slowly dying. He continued to document his last days in his journal. He wrote a farewell to the world and crawled in a sleeping bag and died and was found by moose hunters two weeks later. This sounds remarkably like my brother. <laughs> Your brother died and got found by moose hunters? No, but he did go into the wild to live on like roots and berries for a couple of weeks by himself on the top of a mountain. Of the land. Oh, wow. <laughs> you see, I've, I, was, I found this movie like really curious because they, the entire premise of the film, right up to like, the last 10 minutes, mm-hmm. is... That this romantic idea that this kid has is like, because everybody's telling him that's a stupid idea the whole way along. He's like, no, it's not. And I'm going to do it. And so, like, you have that, like, that Hollywood trope about, Mm. oh, he's the lone hero and everybody's trying to tell him what not to do and he's going to fight against authority and he's going to. And then, if Hollywood has taught me anything, how these movies end is this guy triumphs as a result of his perseverance, right? And this guy goes out in the woods and he's there for like three months and he eats all his food, has no luck actually foraging for himself. And the first time he does, he goes, out and kills himself yeah so it's it's funny that the the entire you know message of the movie is actually kind of thrown out the window in the last yeah. like 10 minutes yeah this was directed by sean penn right yeah exactly i have not trust him trusted him since the pledge well, he, he yeah. doesn't seem to understand how to actually tell messages yeah i mean like, like this one i thought it's interesting that it turned it on its ear right and, mm. and it's based on a true story so it's like you know you don't want to color history and trying mm-hmm. to shoehorn it into a formulaic storyline yeah there was no hint along the way that this kid was going to come to a tragic right. end right it's one of those things where we're like filling in the gaps as a viewer and we're yeah. like oh no i know how where this is going to end up yeah. he's going to he's going to set up a colony and he's going to like you know people are going to start coming to yeah. where he is all and... his friends are going to have horrible lives living on the grid in the yeah, cities and be exactly. uh, unhappy and he'll be up there happy and yeah yeah well it's probably how the kid felt most of the time yeah i guess that's true <laughs> like, i'm you're... fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm not fine <laughs> yeah and you got not fine in a hurry i like technology i i like having food in stores that i can go to and give some money to and so you're fine with going into the wild just as long as you can still get your wi-fi 
Yeah, then I could, uh, I've been poisoned. Send a rescue helicopter. I text away. Okay, we're coming out. Cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're going to go in the wild, be use technology. Yeah. That's what separates us from the animals. My parents made my brother take a sat phone. There you go. Ah. And keep it off, like, until you need it and save your batteries, whatever. Be smart. Crying out loud. Dumb hippie. Yeah. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside and when you wake up startled to say I hope I don't go crazy today such a bad feeling an ominous feeling a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new and we'll have more gross facts for you and you'll have things you want to hear about we Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being mauled by a cave bear. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Mr. Dr. Greg Bull. Thanks for listening. Cytotoxicity or an organ such as the liver, hepatotoxicity. I thought I turned that off. I really thought I did. Hailing frequencies. <laughs> I actually just had quite a surge of adrenaline. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> like, what is going on? Sir, the Klingon vessel is hailing us. They're still cloaked.